I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch... We love to watch... The movie that Disney didn't want you to see. We're going to talk about how this movie does not exist anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, And it's going to be difficult for large chunks of our audience to watch. We've only done this a few times, though. Possession. Yeah. Um, the Beverly Hillbillies movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There has been a few that have been very hard to watch. Uh, this is one that what I would say is worth it, though. Actually, it, this is actually easier than those two movies if you want to spend $15 on a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> DVD is not out of print. It's not impossible to find, but your only option is a DVD through Amazon. But yeah, where we love to watch a movie podcast, we pick a theme and do movies over the course uh, of a month around that theme. And we're in our third week of our uh, our most holy time of the year, Spooktober. And we decide to do uh, kids' Spooktober movies. Kids' movies that are specifically scary. Uh, these are not... Uh, kid movies with horror uh, elements. This is not your Hotel Transylvania's or your Adams Family CGI movie that came out a couple years ago, or its sequel for that matter. These are movies that are theoretically designed for kids and are scary. We did uh, The Witches. We did Coraline. And now we're doing a movie that does not exist uh, anymore. Something Wicked This Way Comes, the 1983 theatrical movie Directed by Jack Clayton. I'm hitting theatrical hard because in our ending to last week's show, I was positive, positive that this was a direct-to-TV movie, which or direct-to-Disney Channel movie, which is why it made it so hard to watch. And I think the soundtrack fooled me a little bit. The soundtrack is very, like... Let's just have sounds playing constantly all the time in the background. Even if the music doesn't match the tone of the movie or what's going on in the scene, let's just do happy circus movie music constantly. Um, or And part of it I probably got, too, is because if I was seeing an actual remastered Blu-ray of this movie, I might go, oh, that's a theatrical movie. But I'm not. I watched a shitty DVD rip that I uh, got from someplace. Wink. Um, and I actually feel okay with that because I do have the DVD. I just couldn't find it. But even the DVD is kind of a quality to begin with. And that's, yeah, that is the weirdest thing about this movie. This was a theatrical release. It was not successful. Um, it had a budget of $20 million. $5 million of that is reshoots where they just took out some apparently super awesome stuff that does exist in the Ray Bradbury estate and made it more uh, kid-friendly. Now, this is a movie that has a kid's head cut off with blood coming out of it, but they're like, make it kid-friendly. <laughs> they kept um, they kept a lot of the not very kid friendly stuff. Yeah, which and they took out like apparently fun. like the what would have been the first ever use of CGI. It would have been Tron for like first ever CGI in movie. I don't know how that was scarier than some of the things we see in this movie, but whatever. Yeah, it was twenty million dollar budget, made eight million dollars, and then yeah, really hasn't got. I mean, I think it's easy to forget this movie exists, and part of that is because so. This is a based on a book by Ray Bradbury. 
it is the screenplay was written by Ray Bradbury. They tried to make this for like 20 years with different directors before they finally made it. And Disney won the bidding war because <clears throat> Disney in 1983 was fucking weird. It is not the Disney that you know today. They We talked about this a little bit when we did the Black Cauldron episode. <laughs> so we don't need to run through the whole thing again. But essentially... Their animated movies were not doing as well as they had in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. They were cutting corners. They were firing animators. They were, you know, throwing together these even animated movies that a lot of people have a lot of affection for that were kind of rushed things that reused. You can go on YouTube and find all the different times, especially 70s Disney reused animation or stuff like that. And so they were like, fuck, our brand as kid-friendly is kind of – and like – the happiest place on earth. Like if we want to, and Disney had always produced live action stuff. So many of like, in probably stuff you've seen, you've probably seen old yellow, you've probably seen Swiss family Robinson, but they tried to kind of get a little edgy and darker in an attempt to kind of revive what was essentially a name brand that was on the verge of, of, of bankruptcy and, and just didn't have any cachet really associated with it. There's a there's a good documentary. I think it's called Waking Sleeping Beauty about about this. That's worth worth watching around kind of uh, Disney's like re rise in the late '80s. And we talked about that too when we did Honey I Shrunk the Kids. That after an '80s uh, a 1980s adrift, they produced the two two of the biggest uh, movies they'd ever done in 1989, which is Little Mermaid and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, kind of revitalized them as a kid franchise. Um, in general, they start, you know, it just, that was kind of the relaunch of the Disney as Empire. Seven years later, they're buying a, a, a television network and ABC and all of its, you know, cable affiliates. And they're, they're uh, you know, a decade after that, buying Marvel and Star Wars and everything else. So, but the eighties are when Disney was really adrift and they didn't know what they were going to do. And so they bought this with the idea of let's do something that's still kid adjacent, but we'll maybe start shedding some of our image as just a, a proprietor of shit like, you know, the rescuers or the Aristocats and other things like that, that is that is only bringing a certain subset to the movies and less and less of that every single every single year. So that's where this movie comes from. And from that lens, you can kind of see why it hasn't carried on in the same way like black cauldron some of these movies they produced in the 80s specifically they don't have the lovable nostalgia of like the old yellers or the treasure island or the swiss family robinson that were like pretty good box office hits your parents loved them they showed them to kids in the 80s when the with the advent of vhs and we all you know in the 80s and 90s and we all started showing them to our kids and stuff like that and it didn't have the like kid friendly thing of all the stuff they started doing with the Disney vaults and hey kids you want to see Pinocchio get it now or wait ten years so there's a lot of stuff in the eighties that they did like even though Tron has life and they still make Tron it's kind of funny that Tron's a Disney movie like I I always have to remember oh yeah that's a Disney movie or like I think it's 1979's The Black Hole which is a fucking weirdo movie. Um, that ends with them like falling into a hell dimension through a black hole. It's not a very good movie, but it's interesting. They were they were trying to do more, not adult fare and like let's get some fucking going on here up in this house, but they were trying to do more like what we're doing is not working. We need to change direction. And then when 
the other direction going back to primarily successful kid-friendly fare reemerged at the end of the 80s and into the 90s. There's this this almost like orphan area of Disney movies that this sits right in the middle in of stuff that no one cares about, no one associates with Disney, wasn't successful enough to kind of have the parents who are like, you know, our generation showing kids like in the way that you know, our parents potentially showed us Old Yeller and Swiss Family Robinson. They're just orphans. And so Disney doesn't do anything with them. This being a prime example of just something that since it doesn't have the pedigree of like one of their animated features that they at least get some marketing around shit like the Black Cauldron and some of the other animated movies released at this time. This just has gone absolutely nowhere. It's not a Disney Plus, not available on any streaming service, not even like a fucking flip TV or a digital rental. Uh, the DVD is still in print as far as I know and that like I don't see like order now running out at, a- at Amazon but my guess is it's still in print because no one bought all of the ones on the first printing and so you can still yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. Um and I mean it's important to note that like Disney was not um like flailing with no good purpose during this period. They were reacting during the late 70s and early 80s the way a lot of studios were to the Lucases and the Spielbergs, right? So, yeah. um, Who were making movies that were ostensibly family movies. They didn't call them that, but Star Wars doesn't have full frontal nudity or beheadings or whatever, you know, it, it has, it has very limited violence. Um, and Spielberg was at this time, like, just racking up hit after hit with movies with more mature content. And the Amblin movies during this window and would continue through the 80s, like, they're, 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 the reason people regard them so well is because while a lot of studios were trying to emulate the Amblin model, the Amblin movies were generally pretty good. Like, yeah. there's, there's a few that aren't, like, particularly great, but they were a little bit more mature, a little bit meaner, a little bit more violent. Maybe they had, like, some sexual content, whatever. So it makes sense why Disney would be like, audiences expect something with bite, something a little bit more attainable. And then by the late 80s, they had kind of done a course correction where they were like, we need more squeaky clean fare. And yeah. then by the 90s, they are essentially like a Mormon ass. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, like squeaky clean. Like They're still nothing doing live action animation, but they've it's... gone from shit like this uh, to stuff like uh, uh, The Mighty Ducks and Homeward Bound and, yes. and Cool Runnings and things like that. Yes. And I mean that like the, when I say like Mormon ass, I'm not like making fun of Mormons. I genuinely mean like the, these are movies that like the Christian, the, the uh, Christian conservatives like felt comfortable again taking their family to go. Well, to up see. until up until uh, Three Musketeers and uh, Priests specifically, which we talked about in our Three Musketeers episode because Miramax was owned and they produced a movie about like a gay priest who wants to fuck. Um and that, that, then the, all the Christian conservatives returned on Disney in, like, 1996. But they had a... They and, then had a it, and then it looped back to the point where, like, Disney Channel in the early 2000s had a squeaky clean reputation again, right? Like, and they had successfully divorced the Miramax and Dimensions from the main brand. And the only people that associated them were nerds. When you, know, you go... Yeah, agreed. And when you go and look at the 80s production of Disney, it you're, you're going to feel like you're in the Twilight Zone. Like, yes, there's animated movies that you've heard of, like Oliver and Company and The Great Mouse Detective and the aforementioned Black Cauldron. 
But there's going to be shit that you're going to be like, that was a Disney movie? Um, I'm just going to run through a couple highlights. So uh, The Watcher of the Woods, which is another one that's complete. I have the DVD copy. It's another theatrical horror movie produced by Disney. It's good. It's worth watching. It's impossible. I, I, I almost wanted to push for it this month, but. Unless you have the upset. DVD again, it's nowhere else. You're not going to watch that movie. Uh, Robert Altman's Popeye <laughs> Disney movie. Uh, if you've ever seen Dragon Slayer, which is yep. like one of the glut of like great 80s fantasy movies, Dragon Slayer, Disney movie. Uh, Tron, we already mentioned, is a Disney movie. Uh, Return to Oz. <laughs> Forgot it was a Disney movie. <laughs> like, what a, uh, what a creepy, terrifying, wonderful movie. Um, and then, which, by the flight- way, we have covered on the show if you want us to want to hear our thoughts on that we've actually what's funny is that clearly we have some affection for this because we've covered a few of these we've covered uh now something wicked this way comes we've covered return to oz we've covered the black cauldron and we've covered flight of the navigator which is another (laughs) disney movie that's super weird (laughs) like um that's clearly trying to steal the spielberg steez right 100 percent um, and then it's not till the end of the decade that you get Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which we've also covered, and Little Mermaid. So they, they only had about 15 movies, and some are even weirder that, again, but they – like, when you look at movies that aren't on Disney Plus that they made, there's a movie called Condor Man, which I only remember from the previews of other Disney VHSs that I watched that was like a weirdo superhero movie they made um, that is impossible to watch. You cannot find it. Uh, I don't think it was it was released on DVD in 1999 and never again. Yeah, like you 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 can't find these movies. Disney doesn't care about them, and unless they're animated, they don't fit into to anything. And I want to also know, like, one of the great tragedies of Disney being such a just a, a massive company. I mean, it has huge impacts, right? It has yeah. huge impacts on the lifestyles of digital animators, right? Like if uh, the jobs that, the, if the coveted jobs are jobs that actually treat you like shit and you have to animate as fast as possible for as cheaply as possible, like yeah. you're in a bad state, right? Um, as an industry, as an industry. Um, but as a, from a consumer end, a lot of people see Disney as, uh an amazing win you've got these theme parks and you got disney plus is such a great value and if you're not before that the disney channel yeah yeah like you know disney and disney channel either doesn't have commercials or they're all commercials for like internal disney products or something like well no so it used to be an hbo there's a great defunct land on the disney channel that i'd highly recommend watching i we when i was younger before we cut cable so from like 1985 to 1990 before it was just like a network not it was a cable like show with commercials and stuff like that. It used to be a premium channel that wasn't including your cable package. You'd get it like HBO, and it was great. Like I, you know, there was no commercials. It was it was when they would show movies and they would show all these like original shows, like the uh, Welcome to Pooh Corner and like you know blocks of Donald Duck cartoons and Mickey Mouse cartoons, and then they would put a lot of their movies on it. Uh, actually, the Disney Channel in the eighties for a little bit was like one of the few bright spots in their like balance sheet uh, until it started losing subscribers because they weren't putting enough new material on there and they only wanted to show the same movies because they wanted to capitalize on VHS. And then they kind of scrapped the premium idea and uh, started doing like a Nickelodeon type. Thing. But on the flip side of that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, kind of addressing a, a, a complaint too late 
there's a period of time where they were putting on Disney Channel original movies like Clockwork, and I would it, there's a t- there's a period of time in the summer where I was like, there's another one, I have to watch it. That like, was in the late '90s, yeah, early. I love I loved yeah. that as a kid. Um, yeah. And they were doing but, some weird stuff. Do you remember last October when we found that Disney Channel thing where they took all of those? That was like in the premium days of of Disney Channel when it was still a premium cable channel, where they took all those. Um, old disney shorts and set them to 80s pop music mm-hmm. like like officially yeah. they did that like there was so much weird stuff when you watched that i it was it was like the channel to watch like if you're a five-year-old in the 80s yeah i grew up as someone like i was never like a disney kid or whatever um but um john woo kid i was a john woo kid, the um, hard boy I, kid. I, I, I mean i was a i was like a Spielberg kid that would watch yeah. whatever horror movies I could get my hands on kid. Yeah. Um, I recently in a spooked over, I watched uh, a movie called tourist trap and I was oh, like, yeah. why the fuck have I seen this? And then I realized that like somebody in my family rented a full moon production VHS yeah. copy of tourist trap. And I watched it on my own as a kid. And it was like, it's not nostalgia pangs, but it's literally, it's like echoes. I'm like, I know what's going to happen in this scene. I know what's going to happen in this scene, but I never remembered what the movie was. Yeah. Like, um, the movie sucks, but, um, <laughs> you told me <laughs> that's why I didn't make good. my list. Um, but, uh, almost 99% of full moon movies suck. Um, <clears throat> but in the bad way. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what was going to say, oh, but like, uh, as a consumer and as a film fan, whatever whatever you know perspective you want to call that, um, Disney has been Disney's uh, sort of vault approach, quote unquote, to mm. these things has been actually like fairly negative for um, film fans. Um, yeah, their strategy has been very monopolizing and single minded, which is we want to control as many theaters as we can, and if you are not uh, showing. Um, a movie that we want you to to show, we don't particularly care about fucking with you. Yeah. And so, uh, 20th Century Fox, which, um, hey, some of my favorite movies of all time, you know, like uh, Home Alone and yeah. Alien and Die Hard and yada yada, that movies that get, you know, annual screenings and tour around... Those have sort of a strange status in a in a world where Disney owns so much of the media landscape. Yeah, there was a Christmas where like all feels of a like sudden, it should be like, illegal. Like a yeah, it does feel or like something. Yeah, yeah, it feels like maybe there's a way like that we, we could like stop this. Like we could like not trust them. Like the yeah. opposite of trust them. I don't know what that means, but you know, maybe like an antitrust. Yeah, like some sort of antitrust thing. Would be good. <laughs> um but they okay so the point here is that like if you want to go see like die hard it's going to be available on most streaming services or whatever but like um there are print copies in 35 millimeter of die hard yeah that like many years will be just not available for you to go see um in these sort of exhibition or you know theatrical screenings even though there are Movie theater houses like the Music Box and the Alamo that are dying every year. They're like, if you give us a print yeah. copy of Home Alone, we will sell tickets for a week and yeah. s- and sell every fucking seat in the house. Like, 
give it to us for whatever price you think is fair, and Disney's just not returning calls. So, well, like, and then dealing with them is actually very like different the- and much worse for those yeah. people, for your favorite local theater people. Yeah. Dealing with Disney is way worse than dealing with 20th Century Fox, and we have to contend with that. Well, and then also there's... There's all the stuff about like there for a while they were like well we're not going to release Blu-rays and 4Ks because we want to to put people into Disney Plus which is obviously a big part of the collective conversation right now about streaming services as they've taken to a practice of removing things for tax write-offs that don't have any other physical re- release like there's been some great articles that I don't need to regurgitate here talking about like you know like the silent films or even the the 50s and 60s where they used to record over tapes of television shows because they're like, well, who's ever going to watch this? Uh, or the you know 20s and 30s where the concept of film preservation was new and there was also the you know the, the all the film canisters were made out of basically bombs that caught on fire like that and burned down stuff. Yeah, do you remember like Crash Bandicoot would run into the green boxes and he yeah. would go, oh. Yeah, that was that was every that's single ba- one of those was filled with nineteen twenties film. Those are all just filled with Nosferatu. Yeah, um, but so you know that's kind of like there's some great stuff of lost media that were essentially through greed and monopolization of the market and a lack of care into the art they're producing, whether it's good art or bad art, into that we're essentially creating a whole new era of lost media by just pulling down stuff off of streamers and making it unavailable until someone like if you want to watch the new willow show that was on disney plus for five months that people were psyched about i think you have to steal it like there there's no blu-ray release you know there's no it didn't as far as i know it's not on any other streaming platform there was that mighty duck show that people like like there's just all this weird stuff that like just keeps completely disappearing because if you're not watching it enough and you know um why why keep it on there like they're they're making a bet that is unfortunately accurate that no one's gonna go i'm dropping disney plus because the willow tv show isn't on it or crater that movie's not on it but what you do have is a distrust around like what's the point of getting invested in this show or getting my kids to like this movie? Because if they want to watch it over and over, or I want to watch this entire show, I have no capacity to watch it. It's kind of like the same problem that when network TV ratings started cratering in the early 2000s, especially when it came to scripted shows, part of the reason is that there started to be a reticence because shows would get canceled so fast and replaced with reality shows. Is like, why are you going to start watching Ray Liotta in, 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 he was in Chump Show. It wasn't called Narc. That's a movie he's in. But like, why are you going to watch this new show when, like, wait for it to last a season and see if they renew it before you get invested, especially now that I can catch up on DVD? Because if not, I watch four episodes and it's gone forever. But like, that practice of not giving shows time to breathe, time to find an audience, and fuck it, we can just, you know, replace it with another episode of American Idol this week actually was creating the problem that they were trying to avoid and you have the same situation now you're not going to have i mean you may have someone that goes and says i'm dropping max because they don't have over the garden wall but what you will have is less and less people willing to to tune into your new original shows if they're going to cancel that's netflix's problem too they start can't you know they didn't want to pay actors more money because all their contracts started going up after three seasons or two seasons so they just started can't like, it's a joke. The third season of a Netflix show, it's canceled. And then people go, well, why am I watching the next Netflix show 
if I know it's just going to get canceled because they're trying to save money. Yeah, I can only tolerate, like, one of those situations a year where I'm like, I really wanted to see more, but the show didn't make Netflix enough money, so... I can tolerate that, like, once a year. That can't be a cycle I'm constantly in, so, like... I am more conservative about what I watch, which feeds that cycle. Like, yeah. And well, and then um, you, you, there's so much media that you, I mean, one thing I tend to do is like, I wait for a show to be over and I see what people think of the whole thing. And then I'll put it on a list to start watching because I have so much stuff. There's so many streaming services. There's so much at the tip of my finger. Why am I going to tune into a new show week over week? If About three weeks ago, we covered Picard. And the only yeah. reason we're covering Picard is because we know that it was concluded. And yeah. that... Um, people, li- people like the the last... And season. people eventually liked the third yeah. season and uh, didn't despise the first two. So if Picard yeah. got canceled after season one, I absolutely would be like, no, dude, we're, we're, we're out of here. Um, but yeah. the, 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 and you know, uh, there's been lots of arguments for if you're going to, if you're going to use your show as a tax write off, um, should be or public. You're going to, it, it should be in the public domain. Maybe yeah. the library of Congress has like a, you know, a streaming capability or something, you know, it needs to be stored somewhere. However, that doesn't fix the core problem, which is that the people that are making these shows aren't getting fucking paid enough, which yeah. is what the current strike that I imagine will still be going on a few weeks from now when this episode comes out. Um, probably still be going on when the year uh, turns to 2024. Um, I uh, Those writers and those actors are not getting paid fucking for shows that get taken off the, yeah. the streaming services they're not getting paid the royalties and they were barely getting paid the royalties when they were on there yeah. like that shows you the level of greed we're operating on yeah. and so like the fact that like Nef- that when disney truly does not want to play ball on such a scale yeah um it really shows you not just like their complete disregard for film as a medium but their film their complete disregard for anything that is not a stakeholder that has a direct investment in disney mm-hmm. oh and those stakeholders that invested in disney often very blindly because the beta on their stock matched the right type of risk that they wanted in their portfolio and these yeah. investors are completely blind to what disney is actually doing week to week they're just like disney has this type of return and this type of risk and they tend to have this kind you know this kind of up and down in terms of you know the 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 change over time so it'll fit nicely in my portfolio and these people maybe never they maybe they subscribe to disney plus because of their kids but like it never Mm -hmm. connects to them that they're like the stakeholders do not have any fucking interest in making the art better yeah it's not that's not why they invested in these companies like the Warren Buffett's school of investment where he's like, I want C's candy to really thrive. And that's why I bought them like that. That version of capitalism, if it ever existed, does not exist now. And it certainly does not exist with any of these public traded publicly traded media companies, yeah. especially yeah. fucking Disney. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that is, I mean, this is a really great example of they could put this on Disney Plus. People could watch it. They have that whole Spooktober, and they don't call it Spooktober. They have the whole Halloween, like, you know, page that they do every and Hulu, month. They call it Huluween. Yeah. Peacock is Peacocktober. Peacocktober. Which is the best one. They did it um, at least two years in a row, so hoping for a third. Yeah, hope the, the trilogy of, of Cocktobers. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so. What's so, better than two cocks? Three. 
So yeah, this was a movie though that um, also was was not very well reviewed. Um, Roger Ebert gave it a three and a half star reviews, thought it was like a perfect distillation of Ray Bradbury's overall like prose. It was weird. It was dreamy. It was scary, even for something meant for kids. It got a lot of like, you know, his his partner in crime, Gene Sisko, gave it two stars. It, they felt like it was weak. Now, we should say the production of this movie, we mentioned it already. There is a different cut that we'll probably never see, but it does still exist. So this movie used to be scarier. They literally like had amazing special effects sequences that they eventually took out of the movie and paid for quite a lot of reshoots. And like a budget of 15 million, they paid another 5 million to complete all the different reshoots and scenes. So you have some stuff that wasn't in the original movie, like the tarantula scene. Still very scary. I don't know. They're like, whatever. I forget what it replaces, but they're like, let's terrifying. Don't do that for kids. Let's put real children in a room with a (laughs) hundred real tarantulas and then they'll feel bad about the whole thing. And it is, it's scary, but it's scary in a way that like, you know, there'll be kids in the audience that are like cool tarantula. Yeah. As opposed to scary, like kids in the audience being like, my head can come off. Yeah. I mean, that's still a little different, right? So, (laughs) yeah, would love to, if Disney was in the habit of, like, leasing out to some sort of boutique DVD. Uh, But it's worth noting. Factory would kill it with this movie. It would look gorgeous. I mean, even Criterion, who did, didn't they release, is it Wally that they put on Criterion? Criterion has done, yeah, they have done Wally. They, I mean, like they just did it, like it was a huge thing. Or they did, they yeah, did some Disney movies. Were like, why are you putting out Disney movies? You yeah. know, like that Wally disc paid for like ten Truffaut movies. Yeah, yeah. Like that, I don't like <laughs> like figure out like if you don't know Criterion's business model at this point, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> uh, and plus Wally's also, a Wally's great. great. Yeah. Wally's a great movie. Exactly. Why wouldn't well, you want great. a four K? Why wouldn't you want a four K of, of Wally if no one else is putting? Yeah. It? Also, why wouldn't you want Criterion to be doing a four K loving treatment of a movie that Disney is probably trying to lock behind their their walled garden pretty yeah. soon? Um, I don't want to pay that robot any royalties. He's got a lot of cleaning up to do. Um, so it is worth noting the SAG that- rules. He doesn't have more than one line. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's technically an extra um <laughs> the the problem is is that even if we you we ever see the the full version it's actually the there's not like a cut of it on film the only copy is a vhs copy at the center for ray bradbury studios so i imagine like it would end up being you ever see one of those like discs that are like um, hey, we're going to sh- put in the cut footage, but it's going to look really different than the rest of the film. And they have a warning before, like some some footage was not able to be restored to its former. So, you know, when you if the picture changes in quality, that is unfortunate, but it's our attempt to present the original vi- vision. Like we would 100 percent get that with this and it would look like it would be like fucking all of a sudden full frame instead of widescreen and uh, have like tracking bars on it and stuff like that. So I, I wa- did watch something where a sunscreen factory release where they had to do that. And it was like very clear, like it's something like, Oh no, he's got a hammer. And then it cuts over and then it's just a VHS frame shot of a <laughs> dummy's head getting caved in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think it was, I think it was, um, my, I think it was with My Bloody Valentine. I think they couldn't restore all the... Yeah. I I feel like as they've done more of those, there's tons... I've seen tons of movies that have that, like, hey, don't complain to us when part of your movie looks like shit. You're just lucky you have the movie, bud. Yeah. This is um, literally all we have. 
It's all we have. So yeah, so let's let's take a break and let's get into talking more about the actual film. Something this way. Wiki wiki wawa. Peter, let's, why don't you talk through what happens in the film, something this way. Yeah. Um, a small boy who is not Ralphie from Christmas Story. Looks like um, Ralphie from Christmas Story, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he's, he's like Ralphie from Christmas Story, but with clinical depression. Yeah. Um, uh, Will Halloway uh, and his best friend, best friend Jim Nightshade are popping around their town of Greentown, Illinois. Mm-hmm. This does not look like my version of Illinois. Maybe like eastern, or sorry, western Illinois, like the mm-hmm. far side, far north side. I don't know. Most of Illinois is not like green and rolling the way this is. Doesn't look like my state. Is uh, fall has come, summer season has ended, um, and they are trying to find some fun and some meaning in uh, the small town. We're introduced to some of the other figures in town. Um, Will's dad runs the library and is played by a um, absolutely ancient, um, God, Jason Robards. Like an absolutely ancient Jason Robards. I mean, he was absolutely ancient for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, I feel like possibly... He lived what 17 happened? years after this. And they're like <laughs> telling him like it would be a privilege if he went back to the age of 50. <laughs> God. And, and like, I... It's one of those things where it's like, did he get his AARP card? And then he was like, I'm going to pick up an old spinster of 25 to marry. <laughs> yeah. Like, did he get his first social security check? And he's like, I'm going to go show off yeah. down at the bars. Yeah, How did he meet this woman? Yeah. Uh, famously um, killed by P.T. Anderson and Magnolia. Yes. Both the movie in real life. Because that was his yeah. last movie. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I forgot that that movie's snuff. Um, but, uh, you know, P.T. is an artist. Oh, it's three hours so. long. It's snuff. <laughs> so... So there, uh, the dad uh, runs the library. He did not go serve in the war. He has had a fairly sort of um, safe life. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Will's dad, Charles, is like kind of the co-lead of this movie. Will says he's the lead of the movie. Charles is actually the, the lead of the movie. This is actually his story. And uh, there's some other figures in town. There's a bartender who lost a leg and an arm in the war. And... um. Ha- had rack, football dreams <laughs> in in uh, Grenada. Desert Storm. He was the one U.S. injury in in Panama. Yeah. Um, he uh, he was really involved in the the Balklands invasion. Um, even though, <laughs> just as a spectator, a lover of the Balklands. <laughs> he was there for the love of the game. Love of the game. Uh, taking taking land for Imperial. I mean, with how old this guy is, I wouldn't be surprised if he lost it during the Rough Riders. 
<laughs> yeah, he was actually in the Light Brigade the, during the Crimean War. Uh, in which case, he got off pretty good. He did okay. Um, but he uh, loves football, and he has dreams of, you know, he had, he had dreams of being a big football star before the war um, took uh, two of his limbs. Um, there is a um, cigar store owner, general store owner, who has dreams of being rich. And mm-hmm. there's a uh, bartender who is horny. He has dreams of having sex and of, doing of, sex. Of doing the horny stuff. He what Whatever horny people want to do, uh, he has dreams of doing a lot of it with many women from around the world. And mm-hmm. for some reason, he keeps saying things like, this town, it doesn't have any ladies. It, it is a very know. small town. Like, a carnival moves in and everyone's like, drop what you're doing for <laughs> two weeks. We're all, we're all focused on the carnival now. I want a prequel that's like, something wicked is going to be coming in a while. Yeah. And it's going to explain what happened to all these ladies. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that guy was here before and took all the ladies. <laughs> I have to assume this guy chased off every lady except for Will's mom. Oh, Jonathan. Because I'm not seeing a lot of ladies in the town. Um, so, um, these characters will come back later. Uh, small town and uh, Will and his dad Charles are both shocked that a autumn carnival is coming into town on, by train. They both deny that this train could have come into town. Yeah. They're both like, oh, we must have overheard something. The CGI sequence that they cut was a, apparently something like cost $2 million with CGI with the with a train coming into town. It sounds fucking rad. Yeah. Um, so they're well, setting up get a job at the fucking Ray Bradbury archive. If you want to see it and bring a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they bring it in the carnival. They, they bring the carnival into town and everybody goes, but the people that are going to be immediately dispatched by this carnival, um, are the barber who is horny and doing horny. He immediately finds out that he has many beautiful women. He goes to, I believe a fortune teller and he finds out he has many beautiful women in, in his future. Uh, and then he uh, goes and sees an exotic dance, which would have been a carnival staple, usually, of women in brown face doing belly dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, he's just in a swirl of half-naked women um, that are sort of surrealistically uh, devouring him in this this uh, yeah. this mist. And then uh, one of the guys uh, is basically handed a series of gambling wins. Yep. And he gets on the merry-go-round with a beautiful Pam Greer, yeah. um, who's sort of the uh, witch figure of this carnival. She does a lot of, she has specific powers that our lead guy that we'll get to in a moment doesn't have. And she is um, beautiful and scary. She's very fucking creepy in this movie. I love Pam Greer in every movie, but I, I particularly like her in this one. And uh, so that guy, they go up the carnival, he's gone. And then the... Um, uh, football player bartender um, sees a image of his legs, his leg and his arm back, um, and yeah. goes into the hall of mirrors, and he disappears in there. So we're seeing that this carnival is somehow corrupting people based on what they want. What is yeah. your core weakness? This well, thing the, will give the, you and, what you want. And the school teacher, who's old and wants to be beautiful, oh, so she can see herself be beautiful. She does become beautiful, but then. She can't see herself in the mirror anymore because she has become uh, blind. Um, I think there's two theories of what's going on in all this. The first one is that it's a monkey's paw situation. They're basically asking for wishes, having their desire, and they're getting it, but with a little evil twist uh, because of evil or wicked, as someone would say. 
Another theory that I've seen floating around is that these guys are just really bad at wish granting. And they just <laughs> they they just keep fucking it up. They're like not listening to the whole thing and they're like, Yeah, 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 got it. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, and they just, you know, it's a bunch it's a series of like explainable mistakes in the attempt to do wish granting, which I think we can all agree, like Wish granting is not an easy thing. I've never granted one wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, like, the mechanisms. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure your daughters have been like, I want grilled cheese, and you were able to grant that wish. But you mean, like, I, I am, I am in the face of a lot of, like, fingers behind their back, and then every time I say, yes, you can do that, even if it's something, like, pretty basic, like, can I stay outside for 15 minutes? Yes, it worked! <laughs> <laughs> and then when it, when it doesn't work, they're like, but I had my fingers crossed. It's like, so they... Um, I guess when you raise kids with no religion, they they believe in the power of themselves uh, through magic. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So the uh, the lead villain here is Mister Dark, um, played by Jonathan Price. I almost said Vincent Price. Um, though this would be a character I'd love to see Vincent Price play. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Price he, is in... Vincent Price did some monkey paw shit. Yeah, he he did he did plenty yeah. of the the you know the Poe ironic sort of you know storytelling of the Victorian and nineteenth century eras. Um, but uh, uh, Jonathan Price in this is incredible. Like Ray yeah. Bradbury, have you ever read any Red Bra- Ray Bradbury? I did you read have. Him as a kid? Um, and I don't remember what. Well, I read Fahrenheit four fifty one. I yeah yeah I read Fahrenheit four fifty one. I haven't read I, the I read Martian, Martian Chronicles, Chronicles when um, I was a kid. I, don't I feel like there's some. It. I think there's some other ones I've read. I haven't read the Martian Chronicles is the one they always like mean to read. I'm I'm looking at like his. His writing is just like. You know exactly where Stephen King came from. You know exactly where Clive Barker came from. Like, you can just, like, trace direct lines to how we got to modern pop culture and modern, like, yeah. modern horror storytelling, modern sci-fi storytelling. Like, Ray Bradbury is a a, a sainted figure. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, he didn't really do that fiction. many. He didn't really do that many novels. Um, and I, yeah, so he I wrote guess a lot of only... short story collections and sort of, like, you know... Yeah. Well, um, even this is an adaptation. He wrote a story called Dark Carnival uh, mm-hmm. as part of a short story collection. And um, and he then readapted this from that. Yeah. From he that came story. from the era when writing short stories was more of the, the way to be a, you know, a, a writer that could support yeah. their family. Yeah. Um, but he is, yeah, Ray Bradbury is also, you know, we've talked about oh, all these books have been adapted by or adaptations of this month. Um, this month, all of the movies are adaptations of works by authors that are great young adult authors Uh, and you know not across the board like neil gaiman a lot of his work is not for young adults but he's a great great author yeah um ray badbury alstein is not a good author but he is good at writing children's books (laughs) yes yes. prolific yes um and uh ray bradbury is the sort of uh guy that if you give a ray bradbury book to the right kid at the right time he will want to be an author like yeah. that, they will want to be an author. He, she, they will want to be an author. Um, it's it's pretty powerful. The Jonathan Price's character, he's bringing this like lurid, beautiful pro villain speeches from yeah. Ray Bradbury's prose to life. What is happening here is he's the lead of this group of magic figures that go from town to town. They go on these like decades long sort of circuits. They've been in this town before, and they made life not great for the people here for yeah. a period of time 
And uh, they they come in. They can grant wishes. There's always a cost. And he is trying to accrue more power. Um, and he's trying to suck more people into his spell. Um, he, he has a particular affinity for electricity and using electricity to gain more power. Um, yeah, he says he, he's a lightning rod salesman. Yeah. Yes. One of his big powers is to be able to turn back time to some degree. Not necessarily, yeah. you know, like time travel, but like... Time travel for you, right? So he made a uh, the teacher look as beautiful as she did when she was twenty or whatever. Um, he gave the 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 football player bartender his legs back. Like, um, well, he, he promises Jason Robar the ability to make him a young man again by oh, like, the by sequence. Year. That so there's sequence. A se- there's yeah, a sequence the, where it's the best. It's the best sequence in the movie, and it's Jonathan Price is so good where. He's essentially offering Jason Robarb to give up his uh, grandchildren or children, grandchildren, children, children. Well, children. one of his children, and then her his, his friend, all, all, and then his child's friend. I, 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 I knew it was children, but then I pictured Jason Robarb, and I'm like, it must be grandchildren. But I, uh, that guy, that guy was. It's a big part of the plot is that he apparently made a kid, and he's too old to really be a, a, the the right kind of parent to him. Yeah, so John Bryce like, oh, in his view, in his view. I'll, I'll turn you back to 25, and then, no, okay, oh, 25, tears a page out of his book, 25 gone, 26, 26, last chance, and, like, so it goes up to, like, the 40s or whatever, and he keeps ripping pages out of these books, and, like, basically, and, like, you feel for that moment, because, like, that is the, that is lost time, right? Like, the second that year is gone, it's gone forever for you, and this is the second chance, but the pages are getting torn off before he has a chance to think about what he wants to do and like Jonathan Price is like prancing around with this book tearing pages out with the full gusto of his arm it is my favorite sequence of the movie it's so good and there's a line he says I think it's 35 he says at 35 you can run up the stairs and not lose your breath and then he goes 36 (laughs) it's so it's so good. good Let's let's talk about yeah. So I mean, the thing is, is that this movie's really good. It's really scary for kids. Good luck getting a kid that's going to watch a, a mangled YouTube version <laughs> um, that looks like it has artifacting across. Uh, but it, it it is like when I saw it, I watched it for the first time in one of the kids Spooktober series that I did, and I was like, oh, I love this. This is good. This is scary. Peter, I know you have a big, but the thing is, like, it's it's ninety minutes long. It's kind of a simple structure it is Mm -hmm. here's these here's this family the carnival comes to town in a needful things like monkey paw situation people have as we already kind of went through here's all the wishes they get granted that don't get turned and meanwhile the kids figure out what's going on and uh, are trying to escape and being terrorized by uh, mr dark and his minion so I think the key thing here is that, like, for a movie that they thought they initially purchased for the idea of we want to do something a little bit more edgy to get our name out there, and then they pulled back from that horror and did $5 million worth of reshoots, there's a ton of scary shit still in this movie that is frightening to adults and frightening to kids. So why don't you walk, again, in the framing that we just all talked about there of wish-granting, chasing children and stuff like that, why don't you run through some of the, like, the truly terrifying moments of this movie? So I think the central scariest moment of it is after the kids realize that they're being pursued, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they are... They, they come to downtown in the broad daylight and there's a parade coming through 
And they're like, oh, yay, a parade, because they're fucking kids, right? Yeah. And then it's they realize parades. there's clowns and all the circus people in the parade. And they're like, no, 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 this, this isn't a parade. This is a hunting party. Yeah. And so they're basically... With the under the guise of the you know the parade trying to advertise themselves, under that guise they're hunting through the town. So the kids actually get under the town in the sewer grates mm-hmm. and are watching all of this happen as Mister Dark is hunting them and have to see their uh, see Will's dad Charles like have to face Mister Dark head to head. Mr. Dark opens up his hands and there's images of the, the boys in his palms, like yeah. tattooed there. Like, and, and this image of the boys underneath these grates in this bright, bright sunny yeah. day and this like overbearing sense that the town has been taken from them. They yeah. are now, they are now outlaws in their own town and they're being hunted by the freaks and they're being hunted by the monsters. The geeks. That, the geeks. And it does really, it is a movie that I think really cleverly um, utilizes, it doesn't exploitatively, but it really cleverly utilizes the, the, the circus thing, which is that circuses yeah. are both very fun for kids, but are also terrifying because these people are weird. And how like clowns over time turned from like wonderful figures of, of fun and, and fr- frivolity and joy into these terrifying figures. Yeah. Like it is, it is because of things like this and... There's a moment with these, like, the parade horns are, like, somber and playing. And there's a moment when, through the grates, Will reaches up and he holds his dad's fingers through the grates. Mm-hmm. This moment of tenderness. Because Jason Robards is so tender with this kid. Like, yeah. it's a really great performance from everyone in the movie. But, like, those two are the movie. And they have this tender thing where the boy really doesn't want the dad to die. That's central, his central fear. And the dad doesn't want to die before he can like be the man he's supposed to be for this family. Mm-hmm. And they have this tender embrace and this music's playing. And there's this moment where like you're like almost getting choked up like it's a war movie. Like, yeah. The movie is, is overbearingly dreadful in a way that like I think that kids movies steer clear of yeah movies like the like the scene where you see the big spider and then you get out of the spider space and someone cracks a joke like they like the up and down this movie is dread from like basically as soon as the the train pulls into town and i'd argue way earlier yeah i think even when you compare it to something kind of i think tonally similar like the witches the witches has like comic relief in um bruno that's not his name, is it? Rowan Atkinson? Oh, yeah. No. Bruno is the little boy. Yeah, Bruno. Yes. Um, they had comic relief in Bruno. There's, like, escapades. There's a little heist with the mice in between sequences of, like, terrifying grossness and overwhelming visual effects and soundtrack. And you're right. It, when this movie isn't ratcheting up the scares or showing gruesome images or stuff like that, it is, like... A, a dad who feels like he, he doesn't have enough time to be with his kids struggling between choosing more youth or giving up his son. It is like a teacher who is wandering blindly through the streets. It is kids hiding in, uh, in various areas only to be shown horrific images by a very frightening man in very poorly lit circus things, which are already scary. Like, this doesn't have the reprieve of even, like, a witches throughout it. Uh, and even though it ends in a happy ending, as most kids' movies do, 
part of the reason I think when I watched it, it doesn't feel like at, at, at the end of it, you're like this. I, if they thought this was a movie for kids, they're wrong. Like, I mean, kids can enjoy it. It is a horror movie, but like, like you said, kids want the up and down. Kids need the moment of exhale. Kids need the sense of like safety or empowerment or something like that. And it just, that just doesn't happen. Really they don't, they're not offered. Movie. They're not offered that relief. This yeah. is, I think this is absolutely the scariest movie we are covering this month. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a, in a, in a, jog um you know like i think uh i think this movie has even like okay so you're talking about the score there are moments when this is just has a straight up horror movie score i don't yeah in the in the end the first half hour is like overpowering and weird like it's a made for tv yeah it it does it does go away i kind of love the off-kilter quality of it but really quickly i want to talk about this movie as a horror movie like oh like on why i think it technically works so well so it's directed by jack clayton um yep. who didn't direct a ton of movies but mm-hmm. um he directed the great gatsby which i'm not a particular fan of um and then the uh but he did direct the innocence which i'm a huge fan of mm-hmm. the uh turning of the screw yeah innocence um, is great innocence is an incredible movie and what the on innocence the criterion does, selection yeah and it's one of those movies that uh, a lot of what makes it scary is ineffable and 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 and, and uh, ethereal, and a lot of what makes it scary is the dread between the moments and this uh, this sense of unease that the editing and the 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 lingering camera makes you feel. The sense that you're in a place you're not supposed to be, and Jack Clayton carries that here. And also, the movie looks gorgeous. It it, it I think it deserves like the fall core. Uh, reputation way more than a fucking hocus pocus or any of those movies like it opens with these rolling pumpkin patches and it's this wonderfully warm small town uh small town midwest kind of thing and the the cinematographer his name is uh steven uh uh, steven h burham um has made a bunch of movies that even if you don't like the movies you have to admit they're like amazingly well shot mission impossible um, the Untouchables, Carlito's Way, The Outsiders, so Body Double. with Brian De Palma. Yeah, Rumblefish, um, Snake and, Eyes, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Casualties of War, Raising Cain, War not... of the Roses, The Entity. No. And I would say Something Wicked This Way Comes is is certainly on that list. Like, yeah, it just sucks a... we're not able to kind or of see movie. it for, in, its, in its full. Because I'm sure, I'm sure it looks... Amazing. Do you know uh, what movie Jack Clayton uh, was offered and, and um, declined the chance to direct? Um, a documentary about his uh, son, Adam Clayton. In, um, Clayton, YouTube. 2,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he was the first person who was offered Alien, and he turned it down. Interesting. So. I think he could have done it. I, I, mean, I would want to see that movie. Yeah, I also would not want to not see Ridley Scott's Alien. So a, it's a, it's a tough absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. I'm not saying it would be necessarily better, but The Innocence is like one of the greatest movies it's, of all time. It's really good, yeah. Um, but it, that yeah. ephemeral, ethereal, sort of ghostly quality is everywhere. There's this sense of Im- Im- impending dread before the train has even like showed its its uh, smokestack, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a face. Um, and the, the dark, uh, the character, Mr. Dark, he shows up, I didn't write down a clock, but like, it's like I halfway think, through. 
Yeah, he's like he's like in the shadows in a few shots, and then like halfway through the movie, he shows up, and then it's just like he's like, now that I've showed my face, you know I'm serious. And so, yeah. what does what does he do? He hunts the boys. There's all these sequences through, through of a fun, him hunting. through a fun house, through a fun house, which has and, like the scene of like uh, through a mirror, he sees it, uh, one of the boys' heads cut off, covered in blood. <laughs> yes, and um. Good luck getting that scene in a PG-13 movie today. Like, that's so funny yeah. that it's in this movie. And it's something we'll talk about more n- next week. But, like, the fact that this movie has this this sense of, like, that the kids are not safe anywhere is something that g- generally kids' movies don't fuck with. They're not safe with their parents. They're not safe yeah. at home. They're not safe at the library. Yeah, their they're dad's safe- about to give them up so he can walk upstairs without breathing heavily. They're They're not safe with their teacher. Yeah. When they go to their teacher's house, they're served a weird little demonic kid who, like, yeah. gets them in trouble. Like, yeah. And, 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 like, even in the movie, the movie also, like, does what the innocence does. There's some sexual discomfort that's kind of weaponized mm-hmm. against kids. Not in a way that I think is, like, inappropriate. Um, though I think this movie is probably something I would show to a 10-year-old more than a 5-year-old. Yeah. Um, but, like... Uh, the dancing uh, exotic women and some of the things that they have uh, Pam Greer do are like very sexual. Yeah. Um, it's just that they're done in a way that's like cleaned up for a PG movie. But like some of that yeah. stuff. Is Daddy knows the, what's going on though. And the implication and the implication that um, um, Travis, not Travis, what's his name? Jim, uh, Jim Nightshade his, his the buddy that his mom is like, sleeping with lots of men and like they haven't quite acknowledged that his dad is dead and not coming yeah. back home like yeah. all of that feeds into this overwhelming i'm not gonna call it lynchian but it's at least like in the neighborhood of lynchian sense of yeah. like dread this, this town's kids. fucked yeah first like, there's the one guy this... first there's the one guy who can't get laid everyone's dying people are lying <laughs> to kids yeah <laughs> Yeah, it seems like they're just, uh, yeah, this, I mean, which I suppose is probably, like, why the carnival can't, you can't go to a healthy town, they'll run you out. Someone will ask the mayor, like, hey, did anyone pay for this? And the mayor's gonna be like, we did not ask them to come. Not me! Get out of here, guys. But, like, this town is, like, hopeless, and so a carnival coming to town that's gonna stay a while gives them, uh, hope up until the point that it gets down. And, I mean, not quite in the Reagan era of Stranger Danger, but, um, or Satanic Panic Fear, but, like, yeah. you know, right right around then, Jonathan Price doing the thing where he's like, oh, I want to speak with those kids. I have a prize for them. Yeah. Don't you whole, want them to I get a get whole train prize? full of candy. Yes. Just get in the back of my train. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of uh leaned into the vibes in the air the atmosphere of like uh predatory predatory nature sort of towards children and like so this movie i think is absolutely more of a horror movie aimed at adults because it's a movie about the fear of getting older yep but if i had seen this at the right age i would have i was were you terrified of getting old i hated i still am (laughs) yeah like I, I remember being... Did you stop? I, How did you stop? So what happened was I would have milestones in my life and yeah. I would have these dreams and I would become convinced that I was not going to live past yeah. that time. Oh, yeah. I, I would have those too. I remember like being convinced like that like if I went to this like a big city, especially like small town North Dakota, like, oh, should I go to Washington, D.C.? I could get, you know, shot because there's just no... Yeah. There's no shootings and there's shootings there. And I had a dream about getting shot. And yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you just feel like it's so, 
old. It's funny. My uh, Maya and I went and saw that 4K uh, release of uh, Stop Making Sense, and we stayed for the interview after. And I got her kind of excited because I told her about all the drama. So I'm like, people are surprised they're all sitting down together. Maybe they'll ask some tough questions. And they did not at all. They were very boring <laughs> questions, and they all seemed very old and tired. Um, they don't want to. They don't want to embarrass uh, Spike Lee. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they don't want to. Yeah, they don't. They or just don't A24. Wanna, yeah. They just don't want to embarrass, like, also these people in front of, like, a lot of people sitting in the theater who are big fans of them. But like, at, at the end, Maya did watch the whole thing, and I'm like, yeah, that was kind of boring. She's like, yeah, it was kind of boring. You thought so too? Like, I think maybe she thought, like, okay, well, this isn't what she expected, but maybe. I'm like, yeah, it was kind of a disappointment, but, you know, still nice seeing them. Yeah. And she's like, you know what, Dan? hate saying it but old people are just boring (laughs) we do spend a lot of our life trying to train ourselves to work out the randomness and the predict and the unpredictability we try and we we spend a uh, large amounts of effort to work out chaos out of our lives we spend um all this time trying to pursue peace and tranquility and boredom and like that's winning for us like yeah. the idea of a boring retirement with no shocks or traumas until you know you you and your health start to go like mm-hmm. that's kind of the good the good version of this so like um yeah old people old people are old people's lives are I- ideally boring in a weird way like yeah <laughs> yeah um but I think that the movie is very much about, uh, you know, aging as a terror. There's a moment when... when um, yeah, almost all the that... wishes and promises are based on, like, you can recapture some part of your youth. Whether that's yeah. being able to fuck all the girls that come into your bar, or whether that's walking. Yeah. <laughs> Looking hot. I wanna... Yeah, hot teacher. Hot for teacher. <laughs> hot for teacher. A song that is just not particularly not particularly appropriate I, I don't know how to tell you this but uh i know people like van halen they're not good that's my take about van halen got it mostly i like i like i like their songs that are in better off dead um oh yeah but but okay the i want to before we get too far along i like the aging is too a far along. Like, kids kids okay. mostly associate it with because we're headed towards the end yeah. kids mostly associate like uh aging with stress or death like yeah oh you get older and all of a sudden your life gets way harder or like you get older and grandpa dies like mm-hmm. that's how that's how kids view aging they don't view it it's not really until you're a teenager and you start to realize like oh okay so the trade-off is i actually get to make my own fucking decisions with my life like i consider myself actually way happier as a 32 year old than a 16 year old yeah um even though when i was 16 i basically i went to school I had everything paid for by my parents. I had a girlfriend and every weekend we would figure out a way to party. Yeah. But I hated that like weird feeling, that overwhelming feeling that like someday the hammer is going to come down. <laughs> I hate it. And what it. am I going to There is that feeling of like even when I went to college it's like so what do you do? You just get a job and then that job affords you buying a house and like how is any of that going to to work out like i know there's people that don't feel that way because they're like i'm gonna go get this degree and i'm gonna do x y and z but as someone who is now working a job so far removed from anything i would have ever thought you just you're just like i don't even know how people do this like how do you just do all these things and like yeah that feeling of like the party coming to an end um, yeah i mean some of some of it's probably a little bit of like 
a 40 year old and a 32 year old looking back on being 16 and being like, well, that sounds like a big pain. Like I'm way too tired to go out every night, <laughs> but like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to relive high school. I wish I could pass my sense of patience and my sense of calm and yeah. self self uh, reflectiveness onto a 16 year old, but I don't know. Maybe I would have been creepier then. Um, but okay. So that's like, that's, that's Jim wants to actually get a little bit older. He wants to jump to the next step because he sees childhood as something that's like holding him back. Like he's the only one that like wants to skip over those years. And I feel like the story is like, he made a very scary movie. Uh, Jack Clayton, uh, with uh, Ray Bradbury's assistance, uh, made a very scary movie about a concept that I think kids have a hard time wrapping their heads around. Mm-hmm. And he finds a way to have give you five to six different examples, like maybe six plus different examples okay. of like how you can age poorly. Like how can you not let, yeah. how you can, you can let go of too much, how you can not let go of enough, you know? And, and I find that, um, I find that very, I find that very, um, like, beautiful. That Ray Bradbury mm-hmm. was, like, speaking to kids from a adult perspective and being like, I'm going to tell you about the thing that you have that's precious that you're going to try and get rid of as soon as you can. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's not doing it in, like, a, oh, man, when you get to high school, you're going to get so laid, like all these creepy boomers do. Like, yeah. I, I like I do remember weird dad saying to us when we were when we were in college, like, oh man, just make sure you make sure you get it in as much as possible, dude. Like, oh yeah, then you get married, it's stuff. all over. Mm. <laughs> I, I, buddy, I need you to yeah. stop like yeah. shedding your weird middle aged <laughs> crisis in my lap. Like I need you to get it out of here. I'm yeah. seventeen or whatever the fuck age I was. Um and like the lessons, you know, it's like they say, like, youth is wasted on the young, but, like, it's, this movie is, like, very realistic in how it deals with these things, and yeah. I genuinely want to know what a 11 or 12-year-old now would think about this movie, but Disney wants to erase it from pop culture. Erase, erase it from, from the end of time, yeah. The, and the end of this movie is a consummate fireworks factory, the carousel oh. that's kind of been pi- powering it, like... I mean, like it, it does ILM a full, it does a full, like, fucking movie. Last Crusade, Jonathan Price, like, melting into a ter- terrible uh, skeleton. Again, it's so funny that this is the kid-friendly PG version. But, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, fucking, this is even before Temple of Doom had hearts ripping out in PG-13 movies or all this, the melting stuff. Like, PG did mean, like, parental guidance, at least, a little bit more, as opposed to, like, um, a G-rated movie where someone says, but... Yeah, yeah, it used to have more meaning. Um, And the carousel animals come alive, or maybe back alive. It's storms tear the place up. Like, the sense of surreality and, like, ethereal ghostliness is just... It's an art movie. Like, I... The the beauty in this movie is just... It's it's really hard to explain without seeing it. And it's a shame that we don't have, like, a Blu-ray copy to lean on right now. Yeah. Um, And I would say this is the one movie this month... That I have, like, I think my feelings on the ending are evolving. I don't like the ending of The Witches. I just don't. I love the ending of Coraline. And I think it earns being sh- being very sweet. Yeah. I think the end of this movie, now that I've, like, now that I've, like, dwelled on it a little bit, like, I think the ending is absolutely earned because of the thematic way they get there. 
It's just it's so it's the only happy part of the movie. The well, beginning of the movie is barely happy. I and also I just don't buy the fucking Ralphie from a Christmas story and Jason Robarbs fuck back Mr. Dark the King <laughs> of Darkness. Um, seems seems incredibly unlikely. Uh, yeah, this has been a good month so far, Peter. We've really hit yeah. some good, scary stuff. This is a perfect, like, if you're trying to watch a scary movie with the week, um, go along with it, because they, they, these are, with with your kids or something, because these are great. Now, next yeah. week... I do have, hold on, before we go, I have one, one thing. I, I want to give an example, if people aren't sure what this movie is, I want to give an example okay. of some of the dialogue, because it's, it's so good. Just a real okay, quick yeah. section that, like, I was falling asleep last night, and this was repeating in my head. Uh, Charles Halloway. I know who you are. You are the autumn people. Where do you come from? The dust. Where do you go? The grave. Mr. Dark. Yes, we are the hungry ones. Your torments call to us like dogs in the night, and we do feed and feed well. Charles, you stuff yourselves on... To stuff yourselves on other people's nightmares. Mr. Mr. Dark, and butter our plain bread with delicious pain. So do you understand a little? Charles... You are unknown in this town. My father knew you. Mr. Dark. Your father? The preacher? The half-man? Charles. He lived on goodness. And then Mr. Dark says, this is the part that's stuck in my head, tasteless fare, funerals, bad marriages, lost loves, lonely beds, that is our diet. We suck that misery and find it sweet. We search for more always. We can smell young boys ulcerating to be men a thousand miles off. And we hear a middle-aged fool like yourself groaning with midnight despairs from halfway around the world. Like, classic kid movie who writes? Who writes that as, like, a, like, he, he wrote, okay, so the, 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 the uh, title of the movie and the title of the short story, or I guess the title of the script, I should say, are referencing Shakespeare, Shakespeare mm-hmm. referencing Macbeth. Um, and then he's like, you know what? I'm just going to write some Shakespeare-ass shit out of every, every line that comes out of my villain's mouth is going to be that beautiful and that potently yeah. gross. Oh, great movie. Great movie. It's so good. Uh, well, what's next now? We'll say this. When we, we mentioned we're going to try to get everything done before the big event in Peter's life, i.e. him becoming a father. And we're not. The, the, the Halloween spooktacular is not getting recorded before that. What does that mean for you, the listener? Either next week will be reruns <laughs> um, or um, we'll have figured out a way to get to it uh, sometime in October and get it recorded. Our promise to you is that regardless of whether it comes out on Halloween or not, we will do the Goosebumps episode in our return. So look to our Facebook page. Uh, if you know us personally, just just message us and ask, hey, what's going to happen? Is that coming out this month? Uh, we got three out of four. We're saving the last one. If it, if it happens for Halloween, it happens for Halloween. If not, the next time you'll hear us, we'll be talking about the Goosebumps movie. Zuh. And the books. And the TV show. In a, I don't know, I'd call it a spectacular fashion, but you may have. I'd call it spectacular. It's no big deal. No big deal. Um, yeah. Boo. Peter. Yeah. Good luck having a kid, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>